Hey everybody, welcome to Jetlag. I'm Andrew Smith and I'm here with Larry Heath. Uh, you know, we spent both our lives traveling quite a bit. I'm a content creator based out of, of California, but I've done a lot of time in the air, working for travel shows and tourism partners, etc. And yeah, I'm Larry Heath and I'm, uh, I run a media and events company and I've uh, been traveling the world for the last eight years doing just that. Uh, today I'm in Sydney, Australia. Uh, I think last episode I was uh, in, in Boston in your part of the world, Andrew. That's right, and I'm sure the temperature shot up quite a bit since you returned. <laughs> As I was in minus 20 degree temperatures and in blizzard conditions in Boston, and uh, now it's a pretty comfortable 28 degrees today here in, uh, here in Sydney. Oh, that's, that's a relief. I mean, at least it's not 48 any longer in Australia, <laughs> we, is it? We did hit those temperatures while I was in Boston, so I thankfully missed that uh, ridiculous heat wave down here. You can always put on more clothes, but you can't take I've, them off. I've always said the same thing. I'd actually, I actually prefer the cold to the to the hot, but but minus 20, minus 25. I mean, we're talking, I mean, for those listening, we're talking in Celsius here. We're not talking in Fahrenheit um, because obviously 48 wouldn't be that much of concern for anyone, really, I think, in America, <laughs> if you're talking Fahrenheit. Yeah, no, that's manageable. Definitely cold, but but manageable. So this week we are here in Sydney with Steve Huey. From uh, iFly Flat, a uh, a company. Well, I'll, I'll let you kind of explain explain the company and uh, tell us a little bit about um, how how it got started. Yeah, sure. Thank you. So iFly Flat, it all came in an idea when I realised that you can use frequent flyer points, you can leverage the, the value of the frequent flyer points, and you can fly business in first class for cheaper. And that's really the core concept I'm bringing to the market. It's just that if you have frequent flyer points that you can earn through credit cards or flying, you can swap those points for a flight. And I realized that most people are just swapping them for like a gift voucher or economy. But what happens if you swap those points for business class? You're flying for maybe 20% of the cost that you're paying for, which was unreal. So about five years ago, I started iFlyFlat and we help small and medium companies to really earn as many points as they can mm. for the lowest price and then use those points for business class and really just trying to connect, connect with the world. It seemed that it grew very quickly, the company. I mean, it may have been not that case <laughs> from your end. It might have been quite slow, but from an outsider's perspective, it certainly seemed to be a fast-growing company. Were you surprised at all by the level of interest in, in the early stages or, or was there not that interest at the beginning and is that just a, a, a perception from someone looking in? Oh, definitely. We're growing very fast because once people figure out that they had points and they were not doing anything with them or the fact that they could earn points, they all realised, like, why the hell didn't I start this years earlier <laughs> and then get all these free flights? So then really it's just spreads like wildfire because once friends tell friends that, the thing about travel, once you're flying business class, you start telling your friends. Mm. They go, well, how do you fly business class? And then they go, well, you use points? And it's like, oh, and just a light switch that turns on. It is, uh, we were talking before we started recording about this idea that um, when you're, when, when you are getting, a normal economy seat there's often I mean it just people just don't think to do it people just don't think that oh maybe I could use my points for this 
Have you noticed as well, though, I mean, I've noticed it with Virgin in Australia, um, maybe Andrew can point to some US uh, airlines that have done it, but there have been more opportunities with points now with, with bidding and, and things like that. Is, yeah, yeah. is that something that you play around with as well with the, with the bidding systems or are you looking more at that rudimentary systems that are in place? Yeah, we, we are all about full redemptions because we've done the maths around it. And actually, in, for example, with Qantas have just increased the number of points required to do an upgrade. Mm. So last time we checked, it was about 75% of the cost of the points to get an upgrade versus a full redemption. Mm. And now that's higher. So really, what's the point of having an upgrade where you're gonna buy a ticket, request an upgrade, and wait by your phone for the SMS? I call it the upgrade lottery, mm. where you can just go get, use the points, get a confirmed business class ticket, and no months in ahead you're flying business class. So you can spend less money, oh sorry, less, less points getting a, um, business class seat outright? Uh, not less, but it was really close. The only difference is about probably 10, 15% different right. points. That's, um, hmm. what, what do you think the reason is for that? Well, I think is if you're flying economy for work, someone else is paying for your ticket mm. and they're not paying for business class. Mm. So the only option for you to fly business is the upgrade. But for our target market who are entrepreneurs, small and medium business owners, they can choose what class they fly. So if they can just use the points to get a business class ticket from the start, mm. then they're saving a whole heap of money they've been forced into the economy. Are you finding that, the, that your um, clients are utilizing their points for business travel or for personal travel? A bit of both. I think every time they're flying, uh, our guys are always working. So whether they're going on holidays to their family or, or going for a conference, they're always working anyway. Mm. So it's a bit of a mix. They always, I guess the key is, you start a business, you're always working and you want to provide something better for your family. Mm. So when you go on holidays, you want to fly business class because it's tough work. <laughs> That's exactly right. And when it comes to the frequent fly systems, I mean, let, let's, let's look at Australia and then Andrew, I'd like to bring you in to kind of talk about um, the points of difference between some of the different markets. But when it comes to Australia, um, where do you find that most of the confusion lies? Because when it comes to straightforward points from an airline, I mean, most of them have apps that you can access a Virgin with the Velocity and, and yep. Qantas with, with their program. They have apps, you can track your points. That's all pretty straightforward. Hmm. Where does the confusion come in? Where does, the, where does that, um, where, do you, where do you find that you fit in to say, this is what you're not doing right? What, what are the mistakes people are making? Yeah, definitely. So people in Australia love collecting points. So they're pretty good at that. And where are they collecting the points from? From shopping, from flying, from credit cards. But I think the number one thing, most people still link frequent flyer points from flying. So mm. when I talk to people about frequent flyer points, they go, oh yeah, I fly here, there and everywhere. But these days actually you earn way more frequent flyer points through your credit cards mm. than you can ever earn by flying. It depends how much money you're spending. But. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> So most people have points, but they don't know what their points can get them. Mm. They don't know how many points you need to fly to Melbourne, to Los Angeles, to New York. They don't know how many points it needs to fly business class, mm. which is only double. So most people don't know that. And sometimes less. I mean, sometimes there'll be a promotional period. I, I, there was a period where it was about 75% as, yes, opposed to, yes. as opposed to double. So there's all these different ways, but 
people have points but they don't know what to do with them mm. so therefore when they get offers or emails say get give vouchers or fitbits or vacuum cleaners they go that's pretty cool i'll just use my points for that but little do they know when they get a gift voucher and actually when people tell me they get gift vouchers i cry <laughs> because i tell them that you know you're spending six hundred dollars to buy a hundred dollar gift voucher with your points mm. so it's a complete waste in my eyes <laughs> i I have a Commonwealth uh, Bank credit card and it was probably about six, seven months before I even realized that there was a point system attached to it. Is, is that common as well, that people don't even realize they're accumulating points on their card and you suddenly look at their card and they've got you know 200,000 points just sitting there that they didn't know about? Definitely, yeah. Most people don't know how many points they've got uh, and they don't choose credit cards based on the reward programs. Mm. So therefore, they have all these points sitting there. But that's okay, as long as you're still collecting points you can use at some point. Mm. But the biggest waste is that the fact you might have a credit card that has a points cap. So therefore, you reach a cap and you're not earning any more points. Uh, or alternatively, you're getting a card that earns you half the points you could be earning. Mm. So if you switch a card two years ago, you have double the points today, and now you have a choice to fly business or first mm. versus economy. It's a huge difference. and. Mm. Most cards as well, they'll give you an American Express and a, and a Visa or a MasterCard. American Express almost always gives you more points as well. Yep. So uh, that's, that's always something to keep in mind, but not everyone accepts American Express. Sometimes you get a surcharge. Um, the surcharge in itself probably shouldn't prohibit you from uh, getting those extra 50% points or, or more. Well, yeah. Sometimes when you look at the surcharge, because you get more points on Amex, it's actually costing you less per point to mm. earn those points. So I guess maybe been in accounting at heart, I'd do the sums, uh, but I wouldn't count everyone to get a calculator out and work out <laughs> which card That's where you come in, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so do you do planning for individuals or on behalf of businesses? Or, or you know, how, how does somebody find your business and then get involved with you? Yeah, so we do planning for businesses and their owners. So by working out where is it that they want to travel to, how much money they roughly spend, then we can use the credit card as a mechanism for earning those points. So the card is only a mechanism for points, not for credit, nothing else. So, and sometimes it just makes it easier as a business to put all your expenses on one card. It links into zero or your accounting policy. And from then on, you don't have a thousand bills to account mm -hmm. for. So there's many factors that's useful. Right. And I know the credit card system in America is, is quite different to the one here. I mean, in, in, correct me if I'm wrong, Andrew, but it's quite easy to get a lot of credit cards in America. Um, and I, I feel like it's a, and, and I know people who will just sign up for a new credit card just to get the 50,000 points for United Airlines or something like that and not even touch it. Just, just pay the upfront fee if there is one, then just leave it. And, um, uh, someone told me that your credit rating in America can actually be better if you have more credit cards as long as you don't have debts on them because or even if you do have debts on them because you have because it's spread out over more cards so it gives you a more attractive credit rating whereas in Australia I think it's you know if you have two or three credit cards no one else is gonna give you more I, I might be wrong about that no you're totally right um, a lot of people have dozens of them here yes yeah, so in America it's really easy to get lots of credit cards but in Australia because there's not that many banks so therefore the, the credit score is a little bit different. Mm. But that, what you talk about is actually becoming common here where, for example, ANZ's got 75,000 bonus, Westpac's mm. got 100. So it's actually teaching people to get new credit cards, not spend on them. 
which is like anti-loyalty in a way. Mm. Right. Yeah, I, I know there's a lot of uh, frequent travel websites. You know, you, you've got the points guy and you've got the really crazy forums on, on Flyer Talk, um, you know, where people are into these endless gaming loops with cards. And a lot of them got started before the restrictions um, got tighter. But they have dozens and dozens of credit cards all paying each other off to maximize points. Um, and then a lot of these guys go on you know, runs where they just sit on a plane, fly somewhere else, get back on a plane, fly somewhere else and never get out of any of these airports and then just go back home to accrue points. I I feel like that's obviously the extreme of the conversation, but there's a whole culture of doing that. Um, And I'm I'm wondering, you know, do you think that's valid or do you think that's, that practice is going to go away? I think that will continue to be around because it's really the people who love it as a hobby. So they love to fly somewhere and then turn around, get the status. But I think the vast majority of the population will think of nothing worse than flying to an airport and turning around just to get status. So the people who love it as a hobby, happy days, but the most people would not want to go to the hassle. Uh, They've got families, they've got businesses. Yeah, that's like a really sub-sub hobby. That's like one of the weirdest genres of hobby you could get into. Like My Little Pony is probably a little more straightforward. <laughs> the Phil Clegg stands, Phil Clegg spoons, whatever that whatever turns them on. <laughs> Some people just need that lounge access. I know, I know I do. I guess. But the physical, the problem with this hobby, if, if you want to call it that, is the physical toll it takes of carving out time, going through security, sitting, babies crying people you know spilling over their seat into yours all that stuff and like you know it's it's fascinating that people readily mm-hmm. sign up for it i think the key is that the one day they get lounge access first class lounge access or maybe first class flight upgrade but i go say personally there are better ways to do it so the time you spend on an airport on a plane you could run a you could start a new business you could be doing something else that could be earning real cash or maybe creating a, a points system where you're running a business that earns points anyway and enjoy the back of that. Are you suggesting right. that some people don't use their time wisely? Is that what you're, is that what you're saying? <laughs> they could do it better. <laughs> <laughs> so if, if you have three kind of key tips for people when it comes to their frequent flyer points, not, not, not necessarily specifically with credit cards, yeah. but just with their points in general, what, what would be your... What would be your, without giving away too many of your secrets, what would be some of your, uh, your, your hot tips? I think number one tip is you've got to get a better credit card. I, everyone I've met don't have a good credit card because they've been having credit cards for five or six years. So what's, what's the definition of a good credit card? A good credit card is one that earns you at least one point for every dollar you spend. So one point, not one uh, bank point. This is one airline point, because otherwise you're not comparing apples with apples. So you get one, get the best card. Second is, you've got to know how many points you've got. So you might have some Emirates points, some Westpac, some ANZ. The thing is, you need to know how many, and that leads to the third point is, where do you want to go? Because if you want to fly business class to London, you need a quarter of a million points. That's your target. Without a target in mind, then you don't care about earning more points because you don't know what you're getting for that effort. Mm. So when people say they got Amex and they can't use it, 
Well, if your target is to go business class to London, well, every time you try to use your Amex card, it's getting you closer than if you pay cash. And then X number of days or months later, you can get yourself the ticket and it's worth the effort. Are there any, are there any cards in Australia that you would like recommend we, that we avoid? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think you think about the major banks. There's two major banks in Australia. They've got the dominant market position uh, and their cards aren't very good because they don't have to. Mm, I know I'm with, I mentioned Commonwealth before and and it's, I think 0.5 or even 0.75 to the to the point it's actually lower that was 0.4 so every dollar you get 0.4 of a point hmm. which is actually below average i know that in the u.s there's a resource called nerd wallet that's pretty popular over here um and there's guys who are full-time you know diving on cards going through the 30 or 40 pages of um, small details that nobody likes to read and finds all the restrictions and all the points and then comes up with hypothetical situations deciding okay this is the best card for people who travel. This is the best card for people who want um, cheaper groceries or cheaper gas, and they've kind of broken them down that way. Um, is there any resource like that over yeah, in Australia? Pointhacks.com.au run by my friend Keith is fantastic. Lots of good content, lots of good guides. And, and, and I think the area is the do-it-yourself market is actually quite accessible. So you can read up all these guides, you can save money. But I think where the I guess where our business is small and medium businesses the, the owners have no time they just want to be building their business reaching their dream and they've got no time to be reading guides to muck around to save whatever um, but I guess that's why we help but but there's so many good resources out there at least understand the concept and do maybe 10 to 20 percent of it to, as much as you want and you're stuck in the benefits because the reward system has value it's just that if you don't take advantage of it, it's actually just going to waste. The second tip yeah, is to educate yourself and get get understanding about what this whole game is all about. So some people are always hoping that they'll get something for free, but someone's gonna pay for it. So the whole idea why your credit card gives you reward points is because the bank wants to incentivize you to continue to spend money with them. Every dollar you spend with them, they make money through the merchant charge. So therefore that merchant charge pays for your points and there's a cycle. So there's no such thing as free flights, but it's a flight that someone else has paid for. That's what you're getting. So it's free to you, but it's not free to the bank. So that's why just taking advantage of the system. Uh, And I think tip number three is really to use your points for something amazing. So you got all these points. Say you've got 100,000 points you collected over time. I would say use them for business class because that's an amazing experience. But why would you redeem it for a gift voucher that's boring? You want, you want your points to buy yourself something that's cool, amazing, story to tell. <laughs> tell your friends, tell your grandkids. But I can tell you, you're not gonna be telling your grandkids about the vacuum cleaner you got. Is it, uh, you know, you mentioned the great experience of business class um, and the value of that. Every airline values their business or premium um, or first class levels at, at different prices. Are there any particular airlines on an international level um, that provide better value for points, point redemptions for business class travel than others? 
Yeah, definitely. Singapore Airlines is the cheapest to fly business class virtually anywhere in the world. Is it really? Yeah. Compare it, say, say let's talk about Sydney to London mm. route. Mm. You can fly Singapore Airlines for 40% cheaper than Qantas points. Wow. And you can fly and first class. And they're so much better. Yes. <laughs> you can use Singapore points to fly first class in Singapore. The, the suites, double bed, for cheaper than Qantas business class and points. And, and that's really about understanding oh my God. that every airline charges different prices to fly to the same spot. Mm. So therefore the question is, what points should you be collecting in the first place? So I'm, I'm with Virgin, I'm using Velocity. So should I be transferring that to, to Singapore? I know they have some, some opportunities to do that from time to time. Uh, there is an opportunity, but ideally you should be earning Singapore points in the first place. Mm. So you're not using 35% in the transfer. Mm. But Singapore Airport Airlines is only really excellent to go to Europe. Yeah. But if you want to or, go- Or to US, Singapore. Or to Singapore, yeah, for mm. sure. So depending where you're going, you're going to New York, Singapore is not that good. Mm. And then it comes to Virgin and Qantas. So each destination, I guess that's where the complexity comes from, is every destination has its own sweet spots. So depending on where you always want to go and the trips to your dreams, you've got to be picking the right freaking flyer program and then the credit card that earns those points. And then that's how you get a valuable chain of, of points. So between the Virgin and Qantas in Australia, which are the two biggest frequent flyer programs, do you have a preference? Yeah, my preference is Virgin uh, because its taxes are lower. Mm. So you can use a Virgin points to fly for lower taxes. But the, it actually comes down where you're going because the Qantas network's huge. Mm. So lots and lots of flights. So domestically, Qantas and Virgin are about the same. Uh, I noticed it's often Virgin's about 10, 10 15% cheaper. Be, I mean, because That's of taxes, right. yeah. um, but even the points can sometimes be a little little less. Yeah, depending where you're going, so you're going to Perth or New Zealand or Melbourne. So each destination just goes a little bit to a tweaks. So it's mm. better understand which points you use for what destination. There are also other ways. I mean, let's say you, you want to, f uh, you're a frequent flyer with Qantas. Are there other one world airlines that might be even better to have if you're doing more international travel than domestic travel? But, that, but being part of the One World Alliance and uh, for those who, who don't know, One World and Star Alliance are the two major um, uh, alliances around the world. And let's say you fly in New Zealand a lot, um, that will give you points uh, that you can utilize with United and, and a lot of others. Uh, and I think Singapore is part of the Star Alliance and, yep. and a lot of other great airlines. And uh, whereas One World is, is what um, uh, Qantas is part of and, and American Airlines. Um, I remember there being, a, I think it was Air Italia or someone like that, where you could get the, you could basically get premium status for Qantas you can kind of cheat your way through. Are there, are there still kind of ways to, to do that? Yeah, those deals are pretty much gone because like the, the deal that you said was actually designed for the local residents, mm. but they had no way to stop international people taking advantage of that. So I think they've become smarter and not offering these deals because it costs them a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, but for example, you can use Cafe Pacific Asia mile points to fly on Qantas for cheaper than Qantas points. But the thing is, Australia has such a love affair with Qantas, and rightly so, because they have the biggest network, they're the dominant airline, uh, and it's so much easier to earn Qantas points, means that most people are just happy to stick with Qantas points. Mm. But if you were able to have a decent spend for your credit card, and then through your credit card, you can decide what points you want to be earning, then you can then use your cafe points 
to fly on contests. Uh, I guess comparatively, it's probably about 30 to 40% cheaper in points as well. That's a huge yeah. difference. And I guess if you're flying to Hong Kong a lot and, and mm. into the Asian market, that's probably yep. a better fit for you. Who, who do you go with, Andrew? Who's your f- frequent flyer? Who, do, do you have one that you try to filter your points into? Um, at this point, not really. I'm kind of standardized on a card out here from Chase called mm. the Sapphire preferred um there's no international transaction fee and i use it when i'm abroad quite a bit because i don't want all the crazy bank fees and whatnot um but it's one dollar for one point but if you buy food or travel you get three points for every dollar and then if you book through the website um your points are worth 1.5x so all all together I kind of just rack up points on the card and use their system to try and find the cheapest flights um, just because it kind of ends up being best for me because I don't get pigeonholed on one airline because I, I commonly find that I have to switch airlines over and over mm. and over again to get a good deal. Um, but then again, I'm not really concerned with flying business and first too much. Mm. So most of the time, my goal is just to get from point A to point B without being mm. totally <laughs> miserable. Um, so I, I kind of use the points a couple times a year and don't oh, pay that, for that's flights. That's the beauty because you, you're getting something back for, for something that you're already spending money on. Hmm. In, in Australia, we have a similar card. Right. Uh, American Express Platinum Edge card. It's a card I think most folks should have because you get hmm. triple points on supermarkets and double points on petrol. So everyone goes to the supermarkets. So why not get triple points? So whenever I'm at the supermarket, I see the person behind me and they got this rubbish card that earns them 0.4 or point for every dollar. And I'm getting triple points. So I'm getting six times more points in their <laughs> shop. And they're buying six times more than me as well. So they're <laughs> the, the numbers. And it's not like Coles and Woolies are cheap in the first place. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly right. And um, where do you spend your points? I mean, do you, are, are you like your customers where you'll spend your points on business class treats for yourself and your family? Yeah, definitely. We, wherever we fly, we only use first or business class. And I guess we have the flexibility as well to, to know the system and understand how it works. So actually, we've got a, a trip coming up where we haven't booked our return leg yet. It's just open. Mm. But the thing is, I know how the system works. There's, there's always going to be seats. And also, I've got an Amex card that can transfer points into multiple different airlines. Mm. So I can come back flying cafe or Singapore or Qantas or anything. Any of those airlines I know will have seats on the dates I want to fly. So yeah, I, I definitely do use them. First is my favorite because you've only got X number of days on earth and why not spend more time in first? Uh, and also because first class cabins are actually <laughs> about to go out of style. So most have been replaced by business class. So this is the it's a similar, it, I, I found this change in, it, it's almost just a change in semantics. I mean, I, we were talking before about, I recently flew premium economy with, um, with Virgin Australia, who have really upped their, their service in there. They used to only give pretty much the same meals as economy, but you'd get a much better seat. Um, now it's full business class style uh, service. Um, this is on the international um, wide body legs. And... Uh, it really heralds back to the original model of economy, business, and first, not economy, premium, economy, and mm. business. Um, 
I mean, it really seems to me that it's just a change in language, though. I mean, business class now is just what first class used to be. Yep. What, what do you point that to? Is it, is it just kind of first kind of was too elitist? No, I think because brand new aircraft are coming online, say the Boeing 787s and Airbus A350, they're able to fit the cabins to be much more luxurious. In, in terms of aircraft, say, operating model, the business of the airline, they, the cost of the economy tickets are so low that the guys that they're making real money from is first and business class. Mm. So you have to have a good mix of those seats on the plane for that aircraft and that route to make money. Mm. So that's why they make economy a bit more tough. They have the option for premium economy if you're willing to pay for it. And then business class is designed for business really. Actually corporations pay for most of that stuff. Mm. So most people flying business class are not paying with their own money. And the people flying or first they're using class, points. or they're using points. And people flying first class is typically either upgrades, people using points, or, or really people who have made it. Mm. There's hardly anyone else who are just playing. No one pays for first class. <laughs> uh, and no one who needs to look at the bank account will pay for first class. Mm. Well, it sounds like you've got an exciting uh, holiday coming up. And um, I think that serves as a bit of a segue to uh, what you're going to be talking about today, Andrew. Yeah. Um, so I was thinking about this topic and the whole point is, what do you do with your points? And that begs the question, though, how can you go somewhere if you can't get the time off? So I wanted to know about paid vacation by the numbers and if it matters. So as frequent travelers, you know, unless you're traveling for work and absolutely hate it for some reason, we love any and every excuse to get out and see the world. Um, but is it more than just a hobby? You know, is, is travel something that goes a little bit deeper for us and that, you know, that varies country to country. Some countries place more value on travel than others. So I, I started digging into the numbers. And uh, it became apparent that countries all around the world have vastly differing levels of value for time off. So starting with my own country, the United States of America, is super easy to because we're at the bottom of the barrel with zero mandatory vacation days. So it's left completely up to the employer and the average rate of companies offering vacation days is around 77%. So it's you know, pretty normal for a company to give you vacation days, but they don't even have to, um, which I thought was pretty sad. So on average, after one year of service or working at a company, Americans receive about 10 days of paid vacation. After five years of working there, that average goes up to 14 days off a year. After 10 years of working at a company, they get 17 days off a year and finally, they reach 20 days off a year after they've worked somewhere for 20 years on average. Um, and to make matters worse, Americans work 1,836 hours annually, which puts us 12 spots away from the most overworked people on the planet. But thankfully, that title belongs to South Korea, which is off the scale at 2,500 hours worked annually. But they get more time off. So... Um, 
you know, is anything changing with that? Well, more recently, companies like GE, Netflix, VMware, Evernote, and a slew of other techie companies, you know, with beanbags and cold brew on tap, they've implemented unlimited vacation. So the employees can leave whenever and however long they want. But the problem is that without the vacation days being enforced, a lot of the employees elect to work almost every single day because they don't really understand when they're supposed to take time off or they're afraid of falling behind or they're afraid of their managers or something. So for example, Kickstarter actually ended their program at work because they found that employees were either taking the same amount or less than they were in the first place. Um, and there's some other stories about companies being sued by employees because uh, their accrued vacation days were no longer worth anything. So it, it's kind of a mess, but it's early on and you know we'll see how that goes. But now that we've got the depressing bits out of the way, Let's climb up from the bottom and get to the top, which is Europe. So as a whole, Europe leads the world in terms of forcing people not to work. And I use the word force because it's legally required for them to take you know, a minimum days off per year. So if you had to guess, which country in Europe do you think has the highest amount of vacation days on average? Oh, it'd have to be one of the Scandinavian countries. I'll go with Sweden. What do you think, Steve? Yeah, I agree, Sweden or... Copenhagen, says Denmark. No, Denmark. <laughs> no, Denmark. Oh, come on. It's a travel. <laughs> um, all right. So the answer uh, is Austria with 25 vacation days and 13 paid holidays on top of that. Uh, so they have a total of 38 days where you're not allowed to work yet still get paid for it. So guess number two. You're pretty close, Sweden. Pretty close. Sweden. Any idea? Oh, Finland. I'll, I'll go with Finland. Yes, good job. Okay, there we go. Finland. <laughs> so they're I, in, I, they're in second. I believe place that's where Copenhagen is. <laughs> Next to. No. That's when that might work. I'm gonna roundhouse kick you. All right. So the answer is Finland. They get 30 days off on average after one year of service at a company, which sounds like a dream compared compared to here. But um. What about outside of Europe and the US? So the numbers drop drastically, but still remain way higher than the USA. So India, for example, they get 12 days off a year, which is two more than the US already. But here's the kicker. That number goes up from 12 to 28 when you factor in the fact that they get 16 paid holidays every year. Thailand has a total of 22 days off with with holidays, China's 21 days, and the Philippines is 20. So they're kicking our butt uh, over here in the US, which is kind of sad. Um, do, you, do you know off the top of your head, what, what is Australia? What's normal there? 20. 20 paid by 20 days per year. But does that include, I think that includes holidays though. Uh, no, plus public holidays on top. I don't think that doesn't sound right. 20 seems too much. Yeah, I remember it's 20. And it's accruable too, so you can just add it up if you don't take them. That doesn't... So you're on the better end of the deal. You can tell I run my own business and have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, it's, maybe you need somebody to consult your vacation days as well. <laughs> that's, um, that's right. All right, so here, here's the last wild card, though. The country with the most vacation days in the world. It's not in Europe. Do you have any idea? New Zealand? No. No. Uh, Correct hemisphere. Brazil? 
Yes. Huh? Mean. Good job. I don't know how you got that. The answer is Brazil with 30 days paid vacation and another 11 days off with holidays, topping off the list with 41 days off annually. And don't they just take the whole World Cup time off anyway as well? Is that on top or not? <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Yeah, and the Olympics recently yeah. too. I have, I have no idea. Just a, just a pity they couldn't take some time off to fix, uh, keep, keep those stadiums up to date. <laughs> no kidding. Well, I mean, so it begs the question. All right, so is, does this matter? Um, because, you know, a lot of people here just say, you know, Americans working hard or whatever. You know, people in Europe are smart and rich and don't need to work or what's the real answer here or why does this matter if you're an employee or more importantly you know an HR department well the Global Commission on Aging and Transamerica Center for Retirement Studies uh, in partnership with the US Travel Association released some research showing that travel offers the same sort of physical and cognitive benefits as doing crossword puzzles or visiting a museum so that literally the act of traveling itself is stimulating um, some points of their research were women who vacationed every six years or less had significantly higher risk of developing a heart attack or cor coronary death compared with women who vacationed at least twice a year. Men who did not take their annual vacation were shown to have a 20% higher risk of death and about 30% greater risk of heart disease. The benefits of travel were almost immediate after only one or two days, 89% of people see a significant drop in stress. And finally, the study also noted that 59% of Americans, uh, in this example, dream of traveling during their retirement and that the most impactful trips are spent with, with friends and family. And I, I thought that was super interesting because 64% of the US doesn't even have a passport. So there's clearly, uh, there's clearly mixed priorities there if people are dreaming of traveling when they're retiring, but 64% of people never travel. Most, so, most Americans I know have never left America. Maybe they've been to Canada, but um, you know, you, you, in Australia, everyone I know has traveled. And, I'm, and it's, there's, there's got to be a correlation there between vacation days and, and, um, and not vacation days. Right. Or, and in this case, well, is it mental as well? You know, stress? I, I know that when I was living in Australia, sure, there was a lot of crazy jobs and a lot of people were stressed, but generally it didn't seem to be such a soul-sucking thing um, out here. But, the, you know, that's just my personal bias, I suppose. Maybe they can now cross, cro correlate the people who don't take holidays to what they voted as well. <laughs> God. Well, look, I agree with you on that. Um, I, I would love to know, you know, why somebody would vote you know as an ultra conservative and simultaneously we're well traveled um i don't really know too many people who fall into that bucket no i i kind of had a thing where i think if you were voting for brexit you had to have a passport <laughs> yeah oh <laughs> yeah that would be fair wouldn't it so anyway there you have it um we don't go on vacation over here and it sounds like you guys do and scandinavia once again making us feel Inferior. <laughs> well, maybe the trick is to go vacation to over there, and, and then never come back. The lifestyle is like you never come back and just work there. <laughs> right. Well, actually, it's really difficult to to, to work in those places as well. Um, I had a, I had some friends trying to go to Sweden and get a visa, and they said the process was 
for one, expensive, and then for two, extremely difficult. Um, they don't let in too many people. Yep, they know they've got a good, that's why. Yeah. Well, there you have it. So, yeah, that um, that concludes my, my vacation research there, but I, I think that if somebody could... Uh, somebody could really benefit from a service like I fly flat in conjunction with their 20 plus vacation days. You've kind of got a winning combo there. Yeah. Cause I think the idea with freaking fly points, cause you accrue them over time. So it's like a mini savings plan. So you could accrue these points and maybe have a vacation on points for free every two years or every year, depending how much money you spend. And especially because in, in Australia, everyone loves to travel. So it's like a savings plan. So you mm. earn these points and you have a vacation in mind and you save towards it and then you can book a flight. So more connections to the world, uh, better mental health and happy. Right. That sounds pretty good to me. Well, um, Steve, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today on Jetlag. Pleasure, pleasure. Thanks for having me on. And um, until next time, I'm Larry. And I'm Andrew. And signing off. Signing off. We'll see you soon.